0: as we talk about the lord's table today and as we're going to come and eat and drink in a little bit i've i've thinking about it and i've just uh, i just say in my own experience and i think we could probably all we could take some time if this was a smaller setting it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this but but just uh, we probably all have different experiences with with communion or the lord's table or the lord's supper or the eucharist maybe that would be some of the variation and just what what you called it as you were coming along as a new believer and the different churches you've been at, if you've been a believer for some time. But there, there's a variety of, of, of kind of ways that I can say personally, uh, I, I, I've participated in and, have, and observed this even as a young child. Uh, it was an interesting kind of thing to be part of. I grew up attending church most of my childhood, and, but even as an unbelieving child, it was kind of odd to me. There was there was special furniture that was pulled out and these shiny plates and, and that were passed around and there was kind of hushed tones and the in the services of my earliest memories of this I was a little envious that other people got to eat a snack during church and, and I thought that'll be great when I get a certain age I didn't that's kind of how I how I pictured it I I, I became a believer in high school Lord saving high school and and as a new Christian I still I had. I had uh, kind of new thoughts about uh, about the meaning of the table, but I didn't really understand it. And uh, we were part of a church that that, did, that celebrated communion pretty infrequently. I, I don't know exactly, but I'm guessing maybe quarterly, perhaps a little more often, but not very often. And 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 even then, it it, it seemed like a it seemed like a very solemn time. To the, the focus seemed to be on recommitting myself to the Lord in those moments. And 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 that was the the my perception that I was there to sort of do something for God uh, with communion and and it seemed it seemed kind of individual uh, like we were we were in a gathering like this but the the focus again from my perception seemed to be more on on my personal uh, relationship to Christ and it was a very kind of very individual personal thing and I'm not and I say that I'm not faulting my church uh, at all I, I they may have been. Very clear in the meaning and explanation of the Lord's table. Uh, this was my new immature uh, believer, uh, just lack of understanding and awareness, I'm, I'm sure. I probably just wasn't listening. Um, and, and then after that, I went to college, and since then, I've, we've been in all kinds of different settings and have, have observed different things, uh, seen, seen the table observed in new and in different ways, uh, you know, like in Tinction where the bread is dipped in the cup and some of you have been part of churches that did that and going forward to receive uh, communion or having like stations around the room and you kind of do it whenever, whenever you want, that kind of thing uh, I've seen it uh, in non-church, like local church settings at retreats or uh, college, you know, worship gatherings that kind of thing or parachurch groups I've seen it done with uh, clowns serving it, clown communion. I'm not even going to explain that, but it is what it sounds like. Um, And so I've heard its meaning explained in all kinds of different ways. And again, sometimes a very individualistic language, sometimes a more communal language, sometimes in in very mystical language, uh, and sometimes in in very kind of bland language that really plays down its its significance, I, I think. So I just say all that, I, I don't think I'm probably alone in that uh, If you've been a believer again for, for some time or at least been around the church My understanding has by God's grace uh, grown I think over the years And it's still growing and I'm still learning i have uh, just wonderful treat to be studying this passage this week and, 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 uh, and that's the Lord's grace I would say my understanding of God's grace has grown too and the, and the more I apprehend and comprehend and delight in the grace of God, the more that this table has come to mean to me. And how precious it is, that this gift that the Lord has given to the church. And As our brother Jim, wherever you are, uh, was sharing just a moment ago. Um, and so, uh, this is probably the experience of many of you as well. Uh, just historically, there, I would just give some words of someone else who expressed the significance of the, of the table. Robert Murray Machane. He's a 19th century Scottish minister, but in that old Scottish Presbyterian tradition, they would, when, whenever the church would uh, celebrate communion, it wouldn't be every week, but they would they would have uh, like a week-long series of sermons that was leading up to the celebration of communion, and so have guest preachers and other churches in the area, and the preachers would come and, and would preach, uh, kind of like in my background like the revival week or something like that and so there'd be these daily sermons and and so it's kind of a against that backdrop that machine said that after after a communion service in his church and after that whole proceeding uh all those preceding sermons he said that for all of the great preaching he'd heard that week it, it was the bread and wine it was the supper itself that quote preached the best sermon of all it, because the Lord's table was was most effective in communicating the the gospel of Christ to the comfort of His own heart, and and that's what He's saying, and it, uh, and that that resonates me particularly as a preacher. Uh, that that I, I pray, and as we were singing this, I mean, these, this song that we sang on occasion, it it is it is it is it is, it is a giving expression to the cry of my heart as I've been studying and preparing and sitting there and anticipating standing before you and preaching the gospel of Christ to you. But the, the table is this opportunity when, when Christ preaches the gospel to the preacher and to you. And so I, I, it's, it's exceedingly precious to me. And, and so I get what Machine's talking about, and as, as many of you do. Well, we, 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 we've heard the word preached when we come to the table. We're, we're fed. We're instructed. We're, we're challenged. We're nourished when we come to this. And then we come and sit at the Lord's table. And as the bread and the cup are set before us, as we as we put the put them into our hands, as they're taken to our lips, uh, we as we meditate on this love gift of God and the cross cross of Christ, uh, as our attention's drawn to Jesus, who's who's died and rose again, are, I think, what happens is our as our hearts they're 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 in, infused with this gospel saturated joy, um, as, as the Lord comforts us in the midst of troubles as he as he assures us of his forgiving love and mercy we who are wretched sinners as he as he strengthens us as we just continue to walk this difficult pilgrim path of the christian life this is this is what goes on here and so there's something solemn and sacred and and special about about um, these moments I think we would agree with that. So when together as a a church family, the the Lord's sacrifice for us, it becomes in the very center of focus. We zoom in on it at the table, and, and everything else kind of blurred in the background. But this is the focus. He nourishes us, strengthens us, strengthens our faith, which may feel at times, if we're honest, like an old piece of elastic or something. It's just stretched a little too far. It feels brittle and about to break. That's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? And 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 his presence with us and his remembrance and our remembrance of him, it strengthens our faith, enables us to, to press on. And so this is, this is precious to us. This is a gift to the church. And so, but what happens? All right. So that said, that's that's the beauty of it and the goodness of it. And that's what I think experientially we would testify to that. I I hope that this has been your experience here and and, and your life as a believer. But what happens when this central part of worship Together becomes horribly corrupted. (laughs) What what happens then? Well, that's the situation with the church in Corinth. That's what we've just been reading about. Could it ever be the situation with the church on Corinth, on Corinth Road, this church? Is that possible? Well, 1 Corinthians 11, this passage that Jim read for us a moment ago, this is the earliest account of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Uh, I, I'm thinking about this this week And I, I, I didn't go back to check This was yesterday when I was thinking about this And I was away all day uh, And so I don't quote me on this But I I suspect that these are probably The earliest recorded words of Jesus In the New Testament uh, Because 1 Corinthians was written Probably 10 years before Any of the gospel accounts were written So there may be a quotation of Jesus In another uh, letter that that precedes it But But I'm just saying This is giving us very important insight into the supper and, and, and the way that it was celebrated in the early church. We would not have this look were it not for the problems in Corinth. And so for that we could be grateful that their, their problems resulted in our good and benefit for us. That we get, we get this wonderful passage for us. And so we're going to walk through it together. And just kind of under these three headings that we'll, see, we'll see the distortion of the table. And that's what really is prompting Paul to address this in this, in this letter. The distortion of it. Then we're gonna, he's going to kind of root it back in the institution of the, of the table. And then the reformation. Like, okay, there's the distortion. This is the way it's supposed to be. And How do we get back there? And that's, that's the path that he takes in this passage. So first let's see the distortion here of the table in Corinth and maybe ways that we could find it distorted in our own church and setting. Now although it's, it's to be precious to us, it can be distorted and its meaning can actually be undermined. And so, instead of being this venue of of rich spiritual blessing, it can become uh, a place of fleshly perversion, which was happening there in Corinth. And so, and there can and then it can be, therefore, a, a venue of divine rebuke and and discipline. And so, that was the case for the Corinthians, and it could be for us if we're not careful. And so, remember last week, uh, look back in chapter eleven, verse two. Paul says that he he commends the Corinthians because they've. Remember, they've maintained the, the traditions, the apostolic traditions that Paul's delivered to them and passed along to them. And, and so, but notice here in verse 17, what does he say? He says, Now, he cannot comm- commend them. He cannot commend them. But, but in the following instructions, I, I do not commend you. Look down to verse 22. Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So, very stinging words here. Something has gone seriously wrong with the at Corinth when it comes to the celebration in particular of the Lord's table so badly wrong in fact that Paul says has basically nothing good to say about their worship gatherings look look what he says in verse 17 it's kind of shocking isn't it he says, I, I do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse so they met together on the first day of the week and heard we know from throughout this letter they, they did hold up the preaching of the gospel of Christ and so they came and they heard the word preached, they probably sang praises to the Lord, they prayed and cried out to the Lord together, they read the scriptures they celebrated baptism when when needed And, and they observed the Lord's supper did everything externally just as the Lord had prescribed for them to do as church meeting on the first day of the week and as the apostles had told them and yet Paul says they were worse off at the end of the service than when they walked in he slaps this warning label A like government warning label On their gathering And basically says uh, "You know, this, this Corinthian worship Can damage your soul You're, you're worse off Than you were when you came in and So what was it That made the Corinthian worship service What, what would make any congregation's Worship service uh, Have that kind of what would, what would make it some kind of Spiritual carcinogen or something like that what, what could it possibly be? What could be so poisonous about it? Well, here's how it happened at Corinth, we're, we're told. Essentially, the, the Corinthians' observance of the Lord's Supper and their Sunday gathering, it, it became more shaped by these communal me, meals within the pagan religions of Corinth and in that, that cultural context than it did by apostolic teaching. That's the short answer of what's happening here. The Corinthian church would, would gather for a shared meal on Sunday. And so they would, I mean, a, a real, sure enough meal. And, and so this was something that was very, very familiar to them in that kind of Greco-Roman culture. Very big part of that culture. And, and there's nothing explicitly wrong with that, gathering for a meal called the agape feast, love feast. That's what it was, it was called before they had communion. So they gather for this meal but this is the problem. The Corinthian church also it co-opted other aspects of that Corinthian culture, those pagan feasts. In particular, they ordered the Lord's table uh, like pagan communi- communal meals were ordered. In the sense of this, they, they, they ordered it by social standing. There was this social stratification that showed up in the gatherings and, and at the table in particular. They, this carried over from, from the culture into the church gatherings. And so in Corinth, the, just in general, in the culture, the rich didn't eat with the poor. Jews didn't eat with Greeks. Nobody wanted to eat with the Romans. I mean, so, so this was it. And so those divisions in the, in the culture, in the wider society, based on, those, on social standing, on, on socioeconomic class, on racial, ethnic, cultural divisions, those now are shaping the Sunday gathering in, very, in a very definite way here. And in particular, communion. That's what Paul's getting at. So the supper that Jesus instituted that was intended to, to unite God's people around this common faith in Christ, that's the intention. It's not meant to divide people along racial or socioeconomic lines. That, as was the case in Corinth, and so look at verse 18. For in the first place, here's the problem, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. So he says. So some reports reach Paul... Uh, from, from some Christians in Corinth Maybe this or, you know, same group that he mentions back And uh, the, the Chloe's people that came Chloe Hatton, you've got people She's not here, but uh, she, she's got people and, she, and they talk, tattletales No, just kidding um, But a member of the church They've reached out to Paul They've shared with him some things that are concerning to them In the, in the, in the church there about factions, about divisions They're kind of bubbling into the surface And disrupting the Corinthian fellowship there so Paul's, he's a little hesitant to give full credence, so he says, I, I believe it in part. But but then but but he says, this is this is disturbing. And look how he describes it in verse 18 and 19. He uses two words to describe what's happening in the church in the in the English Standard Version is divisions and factions. Divisions and factions. are two different Greek words there. And, and, but you'll recognize the, how they're transliterated into English. And schismata, we get schisms, that kind of word. And heresies, heresies. So, so, so the, the modern equivalents in English to be the divisions at, at Corinth, they were schismatic and they were heretical. And when I say heretical, I don't mean just, it, it did have to do with wrong thinking, but, but the, the, the word, the, the idea of the word is just this willfulness in going that direction and thinking this way. And so it's used in other places in the New Testament to talk, to talk about uh, sect, S-E-C-T, like the 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 party of the fa- Sadducees, the party of the Pharisees, the 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 sect of the Nazarenes, or of the way the uh, even call uh, uh, the way of the flesh. Paul talks about in Galatians, and so and that's the idea of this word. So it's this very self uh, self determined pursuit to go against the grain of what God has revealed. That's what that is what he's talking about, and so and this just stuns. Paul. The whole thing. And so he, so he says something fascinating about these divisions. So look at verse 9. He says that actually there must be factions among you. Now that's interesting. I think what the, uh, behind this is and I think it's implying that God has a purpose even in this. He does. And so verse 9 there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now he's not saying He's not promoting division and factions and anything like that, factionalism in the church. He's, he's whole, the whole point in writing is to kind of nip this in the bud there at Corinth. But, but when it erupts, and it will from time to time, Paul says, God's still at work. There's, there's, it's going to happen. There's it's going to be factions. And, when, and, and it's when people choose with this strong self-determination, again, that's the idea of the word, to go against the, God's plain revealed will particularly the apostolic teaching, as he's referring to here, that, that that's when those who have God's approval demonstrate themselves to be in the right. So these, these factions, these divisions, from time to time in the, in the Lord's providence, he, he allows churches and, and, and Christians to go through interpersonal conflicts and divisions. So so that happens. Nobody likes conflict. I hope you don't. Raise your hand if you do. Uh, But we don't And some of us are particularly uh, Have adverse adverse reactions to it I would be in that category It just, it really, it tears at us It gnaws at us That's not to say people like me don't cause our share of conflicts But we just don't like them We're not, we, we, we do, we tend to avoid that In an unhealthy, unbiblical way And yet is it true though? I mean as you think about your own life You think about even the life of a church That that there are few things that reveal character in us more clearly than how we handle, ourso- handle ourselves in the midst of conflict, right? I mean, that, that, that pressure of, of conflict, of division, it, it shows stuff about us. When the Lord allows conflict to come, we, we need to remember that he aims to change us and, and to work good in us as individual Christians and particularly as a church. That's what he's talking about here. He's, he's growing us, training us, maturing us, Refining us. That's, that's what God's doing in the midst of it all, but we, but let, let's come back. Let's revisit the question. What, what is it that caused the divisions of Corinth in the first place? So let's kind of open that up a little more. Well, apparently, as I said, there, there was a custom of, of the church coming together earlier and having this kind of uh, shared communal meal together uh, with the church on Sunday afternoon. Remember, Sunday is just an ordinary day of the week. This is not. nobody has a day off. People work. And so they're meeting in the Sunday evenings for, for worship. But, but they, they would gather for this meal. And at the end of the communal meal or somewhere in the course of it, they would actually participate and observe the Lord's Supper together as a church. And so, but the, the way they were behaving at the dinner table was so problematic that the whole meaning of the Lord's Supper had been obscured. And so see it in verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat you call it that, but that's not what it is. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. I mean, if it's, to be, if it's celebrated correctly, uh, everyone who participated would be filled, and nobody would be drunk. Will you at least say that much? More importantly, and most importantly, and this is where he's going to turn, Christ, Christ would be exalted through the proclamation of his death. That's the center of that's the that's what's in center focus, but that's not the case here in Corn. It's not the case. Some of the members were going ahead and eating and not waiting on others. Probably the the wealthier members of the church were were coming together in the in kind of the middle of the day in the afternoon and gathering for this feast, kind of a, a giant potluck, and bringing uh, delicious gourmet foods with them. and And they would come into the house of the patron who was hosting the the gathering in the church's meeting in a home and so the homes at that time they would have a, a small kind of dining room and don't think like our dining room but a, a small room would have a low table and they would recline around that table on the ground you've seen those images and, and would eat that meal that was kind of how meals were eaten in the time and so the, so the church these, the, the wealthier members who didn't have to work all day long they would, they would gather and they would just have a feast every, every Sunday in the middle of the day and so, as the poor members started to come in at the end of the day after a hard day of work, and they, they, there would be no room at the table. The room would be full. There's no room in the dining room. They couldn't get to the food. And, 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 and as they showed up, they're, meeting, they're standing in the courtyard, and there's really no food or drink left anyway. That's just, this, is, this is what's happening in the situation, in the, in the context. And so you can imagine the tinderbox here, just pragmatically... You have some who are getting drunk and others who are getting really, really hungry. Some are tipsy and kind of angry drunks, and, and maybe, and some are, some are, their blood sugar's dropping dangerously low and they're getting kind of crabby, getting hangry. And, uh, and so this is just, it's, it's not wonder there's trouble. But j- just listen to, um, illustrate this. The first century account of, this is from a Roman magistrate. that uh, was describing what this was like to go to a meal. This isn't necessarily a Christian meal but in a Christian's home, but this is what it's like to attend a meal like this with a wealthy host. This is how he describes it. He says, "...the best dishes were set in front of himself and the host, and a select few, and the cheap scraps of food before the rest of the company. He even put the wine..." Again, this is a first-hand account someone living in the first century. "...he even put the wine into little flasks divided in three categories." One lot was intended for himself and us, presumably the best, another for his lesser friends, and a third lot for his and our freedmen, former slaves. And so, again, you see that, you see that social stratification that we're talking about there, and, and it's reflected even in the way that the food was served and the type of food and drink that's served to the different people and, 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 and access to the, to the best of the meal and restricted access to that. So something like this was happening in Corinth church, the elite the wealthy, the prominent people in the congregation, they're enjoying the very best of it all (laughs) and even indulging in excess to the extent that they're becoming drunk but the poorest of the poor those who are kind of on the fringe of things those those who have nothing what, they're going away hungry and he's going to say humiliated they're humiliated and Paul is livid See it at verse 22. What? What is going on? How is this possible? I think this is, this is Justin's ex- uh, interpretation of this. He's just exasperated with him. And he fires off this series of questions that I think shows this. And, and these are designed to just highlight the extent of the problem here in Corinth. So he says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Why am I even having to talk about this with you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. This is not why we come together as a church at all. We're not here for a dinner party. This is a simple but loaded with meaning meal. That the Lord instituted for the church, it's bread and wine. It's being lost, isn't it? What a mess! And so the, the, now, it just I realize we read this and we're thinking, "That's crazy! What a bunch of buffoons! How could they possibly turn a gathering like this?" Again, our context is so different, but how could this be turned into that? Is that even conceivable? But is there not an echo of this same kind of thing in our own lives? in our church, you, do you, does it resonate at all? as we hold the mirror of the word up, do we not see some of those same tendencies, some of those same attitudes in our hearts reflected in us just consider this just, just, just think about that instinctive reaction of our hearts when someone someone whose face doesn't fit, someone Someone whose background isn't our own, someone who doesn't run in our circles, move in our circles, they come and sit beside us. Or you show up in their little, you see a name placard, you don't even, you're not, you're not choosing seats anymore. Eric's like almighty chooser of seats right now, so. Uh, but you see that name, or you don't recognize the name, and you're like, Ugh. what happens in your heart? What is that? How much do you go out of your way to to on, on, in our Sunday gatherings to to pursue to look outside of yourself and your little bubble of people that you you're so comfortable with? How are, how are you looking out to include and to welcome those who may be different from you in some external ways? How how inclined are we to do that? Are we, do we take that kind of initiative, or in our homes? Because this is sort of talking about. It's connected to obviously our, our gathering, but this this shared meal in homes before as the church gathered. Does your dinner table routinely have brothers and sisters in Christ around it who 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 are of all kinds of varieties <laughs> or if you just took an inventory of those that have sat around that table, it would pretty much be like cookie cutters I, I'm not suggesting that that you know it those problems are identical to the problem here in Corinth. They're making a one-to-one comparison, but I want to just help you see that that how our worship, our gatherings, our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ, they it sometimes mimics the lines of division in the culture more than we like to admit, and that's what's really the core issue here in Corinth. It's not just this one little problem's dumb that they're not allowing. They're getting drunk and they're not feeding people. The problem, the real problem is, is it looks exactly like the culture in the way that they're gathering. Is that relevant to us? Does that kind of speak to us in, in our own context? And so Paul's saying, it's it's perfectly possible to do stuff in worship right, sing good songs, preach good sermons, and do all of these things externally speaking, and yet when we come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. It's frightening. It's possible for pride and elitism to take root in our assemblies and, and ruin our love feasts as we, as, as we privilege the haves and as we marginalize, marginalize the have-nots among us. So it's this terrible distortion of the Lord's table. That's the verse. And, the, and so what does Paul do then? He brings us, brings us back to the institution of the table. And so Paul, in response, takes him back to the beginning, takes us back to the beginning, to the way, the way that it started, the way that Christ instituted it. And that's a helpful thing to do, isn't it, when our thinking starts to go off the rails? Just pull us back. All right. Gentlemen, this is a football. This is the table. This is what it's about. I know you're, you know, I'm not going to fight all these fires and all. You're doing this wrong and this wrong. And he's kind of starts down that road. He's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's get back. This is what it's about. This is the foundation. This is the most basic basic thing here, this is where it begins and so back to the instruction manual here to, to see what corrections are needed and so this is what he's doing in verses 23 to 26 very familiar words to us he, he's rehearsing how Christ gave the Lord's Supper uh, to us that night at the Passover meal before his crucifixion on the night he was betrayed, so verse 23 I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that's very technical language there, received, delivered like it's receiving and passing along these oral traditions. So Paul's Paul's saying, "I received. I, re- I heard from those other apostles who were there. I received probably from Christ Himself as this this revelation that Jesus gave him uh, when the Lord called him to Himself. This is what I. This is what I've received. This is what I'm passed along. And as we look over these familiar words, we repeat them often when we celebrate communion together as a church. It's, I just We've, we've, we've looked at this passage And I know it becomes so familiar I just kind of want to think in, in, in a little different way Just, just five, five words That I think guide us in terms of how, What we do as we come to the table When I say what we do We're going to see we're, we're rather passive in this But just, just what, are we, what are we Supposed to do as we come to the table And, and these I think frame the, this passage First thing we watch We watch Jesus took bread, he broke it He took a cup These are are actions to observe We're passive He's active here in this scene The the emblems of the gospel are set before us And there are actions that are taking place in front of us That's that's the picture And that communicates to us That's a a reminder to us Of of the pattern of the gospel And of the nature of grace itself That that we come hungry And God fills us We, We come empty God supplies all that we need we come guilty. He forgives us. We are passive. He is active in the gospel. And so we are, we are spectators, as it were, as this banquet is spread uh, of His grace and is served. And so we come empty-handed and we come to receive. The, the direction of the table, as we say this often, is God to man. It's not us doing something for God. So we're... We're to watch. Second, listen. Listen. And this is what he says. Christ spoke. This is my body which is for you. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Christ is speaking. So the word, the written word, the the spoken word of Christ, it's recorded for us in the New Testament. It it interprets the bread and the wine for us. It explains its new significance. And so this ordinary morsel of bread, this this little cup of, of everyday wine or juice in our case... Uh, it takes on new significance. Now, now, as we're listening, as we as we're listening to what Christ has said about these elements, they they're, they're communicating to us the self-giving love of Jesus to sinners who turn to Him in faith. His body given up to the horror of the cross. His blood poured out to establish this the new covenant, this new relationship between sinners and almighty God a, a relationship that can never be broken so we watch, we listen third, we partake we partake we, are, we actually eat the bread and we, we drink the cup, Paul says we, we take the bread and we take the wine the juice into ourselves we consume it and it becomes part of us, it gives sustenance and nourishment in a physical way to us and strengthens us What that's communicating, though, is in the same way as we eat the bread, drink the cup, in remembrance of Christ. That's the sum of the meaning. Believing the gospel, Christ ministers to us by his spirit, nourishes us, strengthens us. So we watch, we listen, we partake. Third, fourth, we remember. We're to to actively call to mind what has been done for us on the cross. Do this, Jesus says, in remembrance of me to remember, recall as we see the, the bread and the cup before us, we, how the Savior gave himself for us body and soul to the wrath of God that we deserved that by his death we might live that by his stripes we might be healed he gave himself, the just for the unjust to reconcile us to God this is what we remember we meditate, we remember we think about the gospel is a time of remembering and our remembrance is not to be paper thin brothers and sisters And so, so often we can think that it's to be robust it's big this isn't remembering him the same way we remember him when we have our morning devotions or the same way we remember him when we're you know, on our commute to work or when we're walking in the woods alone and have this you know, wonderful peaceful experience there, there's something that's unique and special and powerful and soul strengthening about this particular remembrance it's special in that way it's not it's not something individualistic it's communal it's it's not casual it's very it's very concerted effort to engage in this remembrance it's not flippant it's it's very focused on Christ remember fifth what do we do we proclaim we proclaim every time we eat the bread and drink the cup the Lord's table. We become preachers. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, text says. And here's what we're preaching. We're proclaiming, we're saying things to one another as we eat and drink. Do you think about that as we, as we this is why we don't just close our eyes and block everybody out. No, we're, we're talking to one another as we eat and drink together. We're saying things to one another with these, with these visual aids. We're saying dear brother, dear sister, as you walk along this this difficult pilgrim path as a believer, as you walk through this life that's filled with all kinds of temptations and trials and snares, and, and you deal with guilt and shame, and, and you suffer many difficulties in life. Listen, remember this Jesus is enough. He is enough. Take Him as you eat the bread, as you drink the, the cup. Remember Christ, trust Him, rest in Him. He will sustain you with Himself. He is enough to, to help you along this, this pilgrimage, this, 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 this keep you on the path. Sometimes it's, it feels like trudging just one foot in front of the other, just trying to keep moving forward. I, I know it feels like that in the Christian life, doesn't it? At times. But this table, it speaks to us. It, it calls us and encourages us in this, in this way. And so we're preaching hope to one another when we eat and drink together. It's proclaiming. It's proclaiming the finished work of Christ. It's done. We're preaching his death, and yet we're doing it until he returns, and so there's this expectation that there there is hope. He's coming back. He's coming back. Keep pressing on in your faith, trusting him. One day he will come, and there will be a better banqueting table that's spread before us, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there will be, we will be with him at last, face to face with our Savior, eating and drinking to our joy and delight uh, of, of our hearts for, for everlasting, wonderful delight. That's what's, that's what's coming. And we're saying that to one another whenever we eat and drink together. That's what we're preaching. We're saying Christ is enough, so press on, dear brother, dear sister. He will sustain you as you look to him. Corinthians They've missed it. It, it. It's just not factoring into the way that they're thinking about their gatherings and particularly the, this, this meal. They, they're missing that this simple meal is a meal like no other. And so it's, so it's been kind of tacked on to their weekly dinner party, essentially, what was happening. And, and its meaning has been obscured and lost in the chaos of, and, and, and basically debauchery of their celebrations together they're taking it for granted so that's not a again that's not like so far-fetched that we might take for granted the gathering is it or the lord's table kind of see yeah take it leave it go through the motions same old same old this just go through it that's what's happening in corinth and the supper lost its significance it lost its power among them under all of the silliness and all of the sin of their prejudice divisions. And it could happen among us. And this is why we need this last little nugget. So he, he shows the distortion. He calls them back to the institution. Now he gives them this, this kind of call to reformation. Here he doesn't leave them in their mess. He gives them some word of encouragement and, and direction. A road map uh, for, for setting things right again. And that's how he ends, in verses 27 to 34. And so in verse 27, he warns them not to eat and drink the supper, notice, in an unworthy manner, lest they be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. This is one of those verses that, that, that the misunderstanding of this verse has caused all kinds of mischief in the lives of many Christians. Um, and, and so let me, let me try to help in the few minutes, just kind of clarify and correct some of that misunderstanding. When Paul says we're not to eat or drink the cup unworthily, He's not suggesting that you have to be morally qualified in order to have the right to come to communion. It's not what he's saying. Oh, we, we do, but it's not in our qualification. It's in the righteousness of Christ. So, to eat or drink unworthily doesn't mean you have to attain to some unspoken moral standard of whoever before you can come to the table. Uh, we, we, I've, I, I can, I know that maybe some of us have been exposed to that kind of instruction. So, Remember what the bread and the cup are. After all, it's the gospel made visible. It's, these are promises, edible and tangible promises, reminders. That they're the visible words that communicate to us that Christ is a sufficient Savior for unworthy sinners. That's what it's saying. All you need to become worthy to come to the table is Christ. He's enough. You only need to know yourself as a sinner in need of a savior. And, and, and that gives you the warrant, the right to come, to eat and drink. So it's not, it's not that. And so that, I mean, that's the same qualification in the ground on basis for which we come to Christ. And it's the same as we come to communion. I need Jesus. I trust him. I'm empty. I'm, I'm wretched. I'm helpless. I'm bankrupt. I'm a sinner. But he's all in all to me. He's all in all to me. He's everything I need that I don't have, so I come to him. I look to him. And if that's your heart's cry, then you are worthy in the sense of being qualified. You have every right to the table. So it doesn't rest upon us, uh, this, this right. So he's, his, he's righteous with all of the righteousness we need to cover our sin and shame and to give us access to this table. His is enough. And so I, I just I say that because I, I know some people can have this 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 very introspective, and we'll talk about examining ourselves in a moment. And and you know, we can have come to this table. It can be this very gloomy and hard thing, and we're just torture ourselves, just drudging up all of our sins over the past week and all the thoughts and all these things. And so we we, we say, I can't possibly participate in this table. And I would say that's the exact wrong response. You need this table, center. You need to come. You, you do confess. You, you acknowledge your sin. You're, you, you're worse off than you even realize. That's what we really need to say. It's not that oh, I do, you just don't realize how bad you are. That's why you just come and eat and drink so freely. No, it's, it's honestly, I am so far worse than I even know I am. And yet the Lord is gracious. And if we confess our sin, He forgives us. He's faithful so we come and as we've already done we've confessed sin together we've, we've assured one another of the pardon that we have in Christ and so we come and we eat and drink freely so it's, that's, that's it so what does it mean then to eat and drink unworthily because he says it this is what they're doing I think we need to recognize it in this context and then what he's saying I say one thing it, it, it has a couple references here one, we have to rightly consider the meaning of the table this is what he's saying discerning the body of the Lord verse 29 So we we partake in a proper fashion. We partake worthily when we come, as I was saying, with empty hands of faith. And receive what's promised. We recognize Christ's body and blood offered for us in our place. So partaking unworthily would be not believing the gospel. It would be mocking Christ by coming to his table, clinging to our own righteousness. The fact that we we have just crushed it this week. So I'm ready, Lord. That would be partaking unworthily. And then I think the second thing, it's very concrete and definite in this context. So we have to, it, it relates to how we relate to one another. I think this is another way we could partake it on, unworthily. It, it, it's, it's, it's partaking unworthily would be seeking to divide what Christ has made one. It's blatantly dividing uh, the, the, Christ's spiritual body, his church, members that he has purchased with his own shed blood. This is what was happening so he says, don't take it unworthily, so examine yourselves, examine ourselves, that's our test, examine, to test, it's used of, of testing metals to determine their purity, so this is, this is no ordinary meal, it's significant, so that's why participation requires this kind of kind of examination as we partake, and so the point, again, is not to be overly introspective, and, and we've just got to, we've got to catalog everything that's not it but we should come to the table believing confessing our sin turning from it trusting in the promises of the gospel and again i think the 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 key here and what he's talking about here is is in the very context uh concrete context here is looking around are we just really working division in the body are we doing that and if we are we, we, we need to examine ourselves as we come. And so Paul says, otherwise, you eat and drink judgment on yourselves, verse 29. You're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A casual flippancy, a, 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 a disregard for the seriousness and weight of this, this moment in our public worship. It's not a small thing. And in fact, you notice the way that the disciplinary rebukes of God uh, etch themselves into the life of the Corinthian church. Look at verse 30. They're disregarding communion, abusing it, their worship's a mess. And they're worse off in the end than they were in the beginning. And what does he say? And here are some of the consequences. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Let that sink in for a moment. Why? Because of the, of the way you approach the worship of God and particularly the Lord's table. you have room for that kind of thinking in your theology? And you're thinking about God. Could God do that in our midst? Does he really take his worship? Does he really take the table? That seriously he would send sickness or even death in our midst as a, as a rebuke as discipline for divisions carelessness in our congregation that's what he did in Corinth verse 31 he goes on but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged if we judge that, that the tense of that uh, verb there is is, is it implies this is continuous isn't just like one-time judges so if we're continually judging if we're continually just uh, discerning our, ourselves, testing ourselves rightly continuous action, if we're making this regular kind of judgment a practice of our lives at examining one ourselves then, then, uh, then, then we'll, we won't be judged if we fail to make such a judgment we come to the table without regarding the body and blood of the Lord and, and just trampling over relationships with one another we, we will be judged and not in an eternal judging way but as he's going to indicate, the temporal disciplinary judgment he says verse 32 but when we are judged again not eternally but temporarily by the lord we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world and then he comes back in verse 33 and 34 to the to the main crux of the problem and he gives this kind of simple common sense advice to them he says so then my brothers when you come together to eat wait for one another if anyone's hungry let him eat at home don't turn this into a, a time to satisfy your physical hunger. That's not what it's about. It's about spiritual hunger. It's a spiritual meal. If anyone's hungry, let them eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And then he says, there are other things that I will give direction when I come. Now, there's no indication that Paul ever made it back to Corinth. So what he writes to them here is kind of what they're left with. And this is what they they work with. So, brothers and sisters, how how, how do we come to church? What do we... How do we think about one another when we come? This is the question that I think should be lingering for us. Our, what are the possible fault lines in our fellowship that run similar to the fault lines in the wider culture? It may not be seen in who gets the best food and the best drink in our uh, carrying dinners or something like that, if you remember what those things are. Um, but but it, who, gets, who gets our time? Who gets our attention? Who gets our conversation? Who, who gets invited for meals? Who gets our friendship? Who gets our concern? Where does pride and elite, elitism disrupt our unity as a church? Where do our cultural, cu- cultures, and social conventions spill over into our fellowship and, and our thinking about the gathering? We're, we're in danger if we're not careful of allowing the patterns of the world to, to, to undermine and distort our worship in the church, so that we're really better, no better off, in the end than where we began case there we we need to we need to have great care but listen great care is not the same as great fear it's not Jesus has died for our sins taking the covenant curse that we deserved upon himself we need not fear coming to the table of the Lord because we're sinners and we're struggling with our sins no 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 but we need to examine ourselves in the matter prescribed by Paul that's that's the line. Is there work to do? Yes. And isn't there a reminder, though, in the middle of it, of what's really on offer? You see, this is, as we come to the Lord, as we come to worship, as we gather at the table, we don't come to one who's a tyrant ready to beat us down. We come to one who wants to sustain us and nourish us and feed us, one who loves us. So let's examine ourselves. Let's repent where repentance is necessary, and then let's run to Christ, who is enough for us. And we'll do that together in just a moment. Let's pray, Lord. Would you um, again, as we as we eat and drink together, just open our eyes again to see the wonders of the grace and the goodness and the and the glory of Jesus Christ, Lord? Lord, is there is there um, are there sins that that need to be confessed to? We we acknowledge, Lord, we are we are wretched sinners Lord we come not in clinging to our own righteousness our own standards of uh, of, of goodness we don't come with our record of, of being right and moral this week Lord we come clinging to Christ and, and so we, we want to come uh, deserting your body rightly Lord we want to come not uh, uh, flagrantly just causing division Lord so is there, is there is there work that needs to be done there Lord show that to us Lord Give us great joy, though, as we come and we eat and drink together, even as we sing about it now. In Jesus' name.